0: And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Lord, teach us how to pray. Well, when you pray, make sure you say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's it. That is the whole prayer that Jesus taught his disciples who in turn taught it to others until it was taught to all of us. When you pray, pray this way. It's a bewildering prayer when you can take a step back from it. It is far shorter and more direct than a lot of the prayers that we tend to lift up, whether liturgically in church or in the privacy of our own homes, with our own worries, our own concerns. Perhaps the brevity and the directness of this prayer stems from the fact that right before Jesus teaches the prayer, he says to his disciples, don't heap up empty phrases like other people do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father in heaven already knows what you need before you ask. The Lord knows what we need before we even ask. That's a rather stark claim right before telling people to I mean, what difference does it make that God knows what we need before we ask? How exactly does God know what we need? Jesus teaches his prayer in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount. And when he concludes the sermon, he cleanses a leper, he heals a centurion's servant, he helps many who gather at Peter's house. But the crowds grow so large that he says, let's go to the other side of the sea. And they get a boat. A windstorm arises on the sea. The boat is languishing under the power of the waves. And for some reason, Jesus decided to take a nap. It's good to know that even the Lord needed a Sunday afternoon snooze every once in a while. Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat. The disciples, of course, frantically rush into the cabin, and they begin to shake him. Jesus, Jesus, save us. We are about to die. Water is creeping up to their kneecap. They Hold on to the sides of the boat because it's rocking to and fro. And Jesus yawns, and he stretches, and he says, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? He gets up. And he speaks, and at the sound of his voice, the wind and the waves stop, and there is a dead calm. And the disciples, of course, they're amazed, and they say to themselves, who the H-E double hockey sticks is this guy? That even the wind and the sea obey his word. Do You see, God knows what we need because God in Christ is in the boat with us. God knows what we need because God is with us. Now, contrary to the purveyors of the so-called prosperity gospel, do you know about the prosperity gospel? If you just pray hard enough, you'll be healthy and you'll be wealthy. If you pray hard enough, you'll be fit, and you'll be rich. Now, contrary to that forming of the gospel, the Christian life, discipleship, is no safe harbor secure from storms and struggle. In fact, your cross to follow Jesus only guarantees that you're going to encounter all sorts of problems that you would not have had had it not been for Jesus interrupting your life. Which is why, oddly enough, we, like the disciples, can shout out, Lord, save us. But when we pray this prayer, when we pray this way, we're not asking for some sort of enhanced understanding of our lives. We're not calling for the Lord to make our dreams come true. We're not even requesting for some zest and pep to be put into our step. Instead, Jesus says, when you pray, pray to be led not into temptation, but to be saved and delivered and rescued from evil. Notably, as has been mentioned every week during this series, this prayer that Jesus teaches us is so communal, which is odd considering how private our prayer lives tend to be. We don't pray save me, Jesus, Rescue us. Deliver us. Save us, Lord. Again, we're all in the boat. And words like save and rescue and deliver, those are words that are only born out of a cross. And yet, whenever we talk about the work of the church, the work of God, we usually limit what we do to these finite problems that we think can be solved with just a little bit of divine elbow grease. In such a presentation of the gospel, salvation fixes those little tiny things that annoy us someone can come to my office and say hey Taylor I could use some prayers I'll say what do you need prayer for and they'll say could you pray that God would give me the strength to actually want to listen to my spouse hey Taylor will you pray would you pray that I get a a job with uh, $10,000 more on my salary hey Taylor could you pray that uh, I'd be delivered from my nagging children we did confirmation last year. I was asking the kids in our confirmation class, "How can I pray for you?" And one of our kids said, "Can you pray that I get an A on my test next week?" The problem with all those prayers is that those are all things that we already have control over. We don't actually we can achieve those prayers whether or not God exists. We don't need God to help us get an A on a test. We just need to study. But those are the things we tend to pray for or ask people like me to pray. Whereas this prayer, straight from the lips of Jesus, reminds us that salvation is about more than whatever presently vexes us. Salvation is being caught up in something that is so large in scope, so cosmic in reach, that we can barely fathom what we're doing when we pray. Now, temptation, salvation, these are very churchy words, but they've been co-opted by the culture around us. So much so that when we hear about temptation, like a moment ago when Braylon asked the kids, ostensibly all of us, about temptation, I wonder what came to your mind. Because when she said, do you know what temptation is? You know what I thought about? I thought about my mother saying, do not eat that last cookie, Taylor Christian Mertens. Because you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to eat that last cookie. That's what I tend to think of when I think about Temptation, Or perhaps I think about like when you're younger and you're taught to not let your eyes linger on someone you're not supposed to be looking at. Or or don't spend your money that you don't have on something that you don't need. And it's true. All those things are perhaps temptations that we can or even should pray for God to help us with. But the temptation that God is talking about is also far more complicated and, and far bigger than that. What we're up against, what we're contending against is not simply our faults and failures or temptations and trials. We are up against what we call the powers and the principalities. We're up against what we call evil. What is evil? I asked my Wednesday night Bible study that question. What is evil? And the answers that we came to were as varied as the books in the library that surrounded us. What is evil? Evil is large Cosmic, organized, subtle, pervasive, and evil is very real. And because evil is evil, it never appears as such. Instead, the evil that is the powers and the principalities, they masquerade as these freedoms that we've been given that we think we cannot live without. So for instance, the media is a power that is evil. I love saying something like that because it doesn't matter how far left you are or how far right you are. If you say the media is a power that's evil, everyone... The evil that is our modern media now wh- why is it so powerful and why is it so evil we've been conditioned into believing that we have to have it now of course because we have to find out what's going on in the world we need to know what's going on but i can remember i'm old enough that i can remember being young and watching the news with my family and there were only three channels you could get the news and no matter which one you flipped through they would say this is the thing that happened today And then they'd move to the next thing that happened today. Now when you watch the news, you get 30 seconds on this is the thing that happened today. And for the next 90 minutes, we have a panel of people that are going to tell you how you should think about the thing that happened today. It's very different because someone is deciding what is important and what isn't important. Someone is telling us how to be and move and live in the world, and we don't even realize it. And the media is so good at what it does that it pits us against each other such that now we think we know everything we need to know about another person so long as we know what news channel they watch. We think we know everything we need to know about a person if we know where they get their news. And the media is even worse because they know that bad news keeps our attention more than good news, which means we'll watch more commercials, which means they'll make more money, and we're caught up in this cycle, and we don't even know realize it. You wouldn't believe how many of you have come to my office and said, you know what I wish I could do? I wish I could stop watching the news. It's a temptation that we don't even really know that we're tempted by. The media knows that if it keeps doing what it does, it will have all the power over us that it will ever need. The powers and the principalities, they are in our midst and we don't even realize it. Another example, gender. Gender is a power that is evil. We've been habituated into a world in which males are supposed to do certain things and females are supposed to do certain things and we have everything in our culture predicated on those two different identities and yet we don't ever question why those things are there or how they got there and we're at a point in this country in particular where women are making 82% of what men make even though they do the same job. How is that possible? how is it that in the, in the 2023rd year of our Lord that women are making 82% of what men make? It's because the powers and principalities are at work and we don't even realize it. The economy is another example. We, we all believe the economy is this thing that's so important that we have to do everything we can to maintain it. But by maintaining the economy, you know what happens? The rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. But no, we can't question the economy because it's so important. It's like it's alive. And it has a power and a holdover. Race is another power. We've all been conditioned and we've come of age in a world in which some people of certain skin pigmentation believe that they're more important or have more value or have more power than people with other skin pigmentation. And we don't ever question it. We just accept it as it is because it seems like it's too big of a thing for us to change because it is power, it is a principality, and it is evil. On and on the list goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. The powers and the principalities are all around us. They are the things that we are praying for the strength to combat against and that when our strength fails, that we can be saved from those evils. Now perhaps you, you notice that when we said the Lord's Prayer we end by saying deliver us from evil. But when Sydney was reading scripture she said that Jesus said deliver us from the evil one. We don't like to talk about the devil. We're Methodists. The only devil we like to think about are deviled eggs. <laughs> you happen to be from part of North Carolina. The devil is very real. Which is why that old ad- adage is so true. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was believing, uh, making us believe that he was. Because the one pulling the strings behind the powers and the the one that's pulling the strings behind evil is the devil he's so subtle so crafty that we don't even realize it Eugene Peterson this great writer pastor who translate what he called the message that some of you and some of us like to read every once in a while Peterson was having a, a tough uh, moment in his prayer life and he had a friend who was a nun, and he went to her and he said, I'm having a hard time with the Lord's Prayer. And she said, oh, isn't it? No. Oh. She said, because people like you, Eugene, you're all the same. You're so naive about evil. You're so naive about the devil. You know everything about sin, but you know nothing about evil the prevalence of evil, the stench of evil, how evil shows up even in holy places, like a monastery or a church. It's too mysterious for you. So instead, you make cartoon characters out of evil so that you don't have to deal with it being in your house or your work crouching at your door every time you open it. Or else you deny that it's real and you label everything that's wrong in the world as a sin because you think you are in charge of sin and that you can fix it. But there are some things, Eugene that you can't fix. Perhaps that's why at times there is a lack of boldness in our prayers. Convinced at times that when push comes to shove, the only person who can really do anything about anything is you and me. We pray to the Lord for things that are already within our control. Whereas in teaching us how to pray, Jesus reminds us that the only things that are worth praying for are the things we can't do anything about. Now, it's not easy breaking free from the powers and the principalities, particularly since they have so much power over it and we don't even realize it. But that's why we pray for God to help us. That's why we're bold to pray, because we need all the help we can get. Which of course means that, requi- that praying this prayer requires a bit of courage that has become so rare these days, the courage to admit that we actually need help that there are some things we can't do on our own. There are some things that are out of our control. The bravest thing we can ever do is ask for help, which is why we so seldom do it. And yet every time we say the Lord's Prayer, we are asking for God's help. That Jesus teaches us to pray is the wild declaration that God wants us to pray, that God wants us to speak up, to voice our opinion, to ask for God's help. And the the, the claim of prayer is far more astonishing than we often make it out to be. The author of the cosmos, the one who made a way through the Red Sea, the one who delivers his son from certain death, not only listens to our prayer, but acts according to our prayers. Therefore, we should boldly pray prayers that are big enough that only God can bring them to fruition. Pray for evil. To be vanquished in whatever form it presents itself. Pray for the church to be a herald of good news for people who are drowning in bad news. Pray for healing when it seems like no hope is left. Pray for the gospel to reach your child who hasn't stepped foot in a church in years. Pray for your addicted loved one to be inexplicably set from the chains around their life. Pray short and short for miracles. By the baptism of his death, suffering, and resurrection. Jesus has invited people like you and me to pray to the only one who can everything about anything the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we pray, we pray boldly as if our lives depend on it, because they do. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.